If you will go ahead and uh, grab your Bible and uh, open it to the book of Hebrews. And let me just say, uh, just again, what wonderful worship this morning, church, as we sung about our great and glorious God. You know, our God is indescribable. Our God is immensely beautiful. And our God is greater, greater than we could ever fathom. Consider this for a moment with me. In your mind's eye, uh, we've, we've seen images of these things, so hopefully you can uh, picture them, but just picture the beauty and the majesty of the heights of Mount Everest, right? The snow, snow-capped peaks, the canyons of the Grand Canyon, and all their splendor of red and yellow clay and, and, the, and the rivers there, and the beauty of the northern lights that occur in the Arctic area. None of that, in all of its splendor, none of that compares to our God this morning, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is king over heven and earth, and he is indescribable. Amen? Amen. None of that compares on all this earth to the grandeur and glory of our God. And you know what? When we think we know everything there is to know about our God, we don't. Every time we think that we come to have a glimpse of all the understanding that we could ever have about who Christ is, we can't even fill a thimble. We can't even begin to describe our God because there's always more to discover, there's always more to learn, there's always more to worship. Our God can satisfy our searchings, our desires. We cannot begin to fathom, church, how breathtakingly beautiful our God is. And yet, we are more fascinated. We are more fascinated with the things of this earth than we are of our God. I say that about myself, and I say that about y'all. I say this about everyone on this earth. We are more fascinated with anything that this earth has to offer us than we are of who God is. We are fascinated with the trifles of this world, the fleeting pleasures of fame, glory, sex, power, money, and we want all of that, we want more of it, and they never satisfy. And we go after it, we search it, we think that if we don't have this, whatever this is, that we will somehow lose out on some immense joy that this world seems to promise us. When God is over here saying, I'm all you need. I'm all that you ever need. We grow bored for whatever reason, with our Creator. And we trade the insurmountable joy that is ours in Christ for candy-coated pleasures that never last. And so let me ask you a question that I've been asking myself this question over the past several months. I would not ask you this question if I was not asking myself the same question. Do you yawn at Christ? Do you yawn at Christ? Are you bored with Christ? Have we forgotten his beauty, his majesty? Do we consider all the works his hands have made as we just sung about a few moments ago? Do we consider that he is the only one who is more beautiful, that he is the only one who is ever satisfying as we sung about? Do we yawn when we think about Christ? Let me ask a follow-up question. When was the last time, think about this for a second, when was the last time you were mesmerized with Christ. I'm talking about just sitting 
and considering all that Christ has done for you in the cross and in the resurrection. If maybe this world doesn't, satis- doesn't you know, get your kicks, but rather you're thinking about the cross and you're thinking about the gospel, when was the last time you were mesmerized by that? That you just sat there in just utter shock that he would choose you. That he would look at you, the sinner that you are, and he would say, I love you. When was the last time that you were mesmerized by that? You see, we get caught up, at least I know I do, with the cheap thrills of this world, thinking that they will satisfy, that they are more beautiful than our God, that they will bring us comfort and joy, but they always, always, always leave us wanting more. They will never satisfy. They will always leave us empty. I mean, think about it for me with just a second. When you guys are watching a football game and there's a touchdown that happens, what's your response? This is the time of Q&A here. What's your response to a touchdown? Do you just sit there in the bleachers going, that was cool? No. I saw this guy last Super Bowl win the Eagles, and he went, yes, look at that. Look what my team did. That's your response to a touchdown. What is your response to Christ? We get so excited over the length of a bass or whether or not the new video game has come out, or whether or not uh, there's this that I got at the store that I've always wanted, and we think that this will satisfy. When was the last time that we got excited over Christ? When was the last time that we wanted to share that excitement about who Christ is with our neighbors who are lost and dying, going to hell because they don't know who Jesus is? When was the last time that we were excited We'll worship anything, church. We will worship anything that moves and breathes. And God is saying, I am the only one worthy of worship. I am the only one worthy of splendor. And so here we are at the book of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter one. This is an epistle that has grown near and dear to my heart over the past uh, few years. Uh, I would put it right up there with Romans and Ephesians, don't ask me to, uh, to rate them in order, but Hebrews, Romans, and Ephesians are my favorite of the New Testament letters. And there's a beautiful statement in verse three that I want us to really sink our teeth in this morning because it will speak about who our God is and our response to it. So if you will stand with me as we read together Hebrews chapter one, as we consider the question this morning of do we yawn at Christ, Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this, He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, I thank you for our worship this morning. Lord, I pray that it has been, as Jody asked earlier, that it would be a sweet aroma to your throne. That, Lord, as we have sung about how great you are, how beautiful you are, how indescribable you are, as the book of Revelations tries to describe you as splendor that we can't even put into words. I pray, Father, that, Lord, this morning that you would really force us 
to ask this question this morning. Are we mesmerized with you? Do we truly worship you with everything that we are? Lord, is there an aspect of our life where we are giving over to the fleeting pleasures of this world, be it sin or not sin, that, Lord, we would rather be mesmerized with our idols? Lord, I pray that that you would break those idols like you did to the, to the Philistine gods when the Ark of the Covenant came back. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would destroy our idols, that, Lord, we would worship you because you are worthy of it. So, Father, I pray that right now that, Lord, you would use me in a way that honors you, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I ask and pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, church, let's ask again another hard question, but find a hard truth in this response because this verse helps us to really sink into this question that we're asking this morning of do we yawn at Christ? Because in verse three of chapter one of Hebrews, there is this glorious but hard truth, and that is this. If Christ and the gospel does not captivate us anymore. It is not, it is not because Jesus lacks anything. It is that we have taken our eyes off of him and we have moved our affections to something else. It is not that Jesus lacks anything because he doesn't. It is that we ourselves have taken our eyes off of him. I'm reminded of a uh, story that Eddie told me about the first uh, year I got here where of a husband and wife who had uh, a truck together. And uh, you, if you've heard the story from Eddie, act like you've heard it for the first time, okay? I'm talking to you, Stevie. And uh, the truck is one of those trucks where there is no middle console, right? It's just that old classic truck. And used to, when they were dating, what did the, the girls do next, next to the man? She sat very close to him. And then over the course of their relationship, over the years of their marriage, the woman got further and further until she was all the way to the other side of the truck bed. She said this to her husband, why don't you sit close to me anymore when we're driving? I haven't moved. I'm always driving. You're the one that moved. Church, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves with Jesus. Jesus hasn't moved. He lacks nothing. We have moved our affections away from him. And that is a hard truth to grasp. That is a hard truth to understand. But verse three of, of Hebrews chapter one helps us to understand that we have replaced the glory of God for the fleeting, quickly evaporating pleasures of this earth. And so we need to ask ourselves this this morning, what is the glory and the radiance of God? What is the glory and radiance of God and why? Why should that captivate us? Why should the glory and the radiance of God captivate us? Look back with me at the text and you'll see the answer to this. In verse three, at the very beginning, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, meaning this, Jesus radiates the full beauty and worth of God. The writer of Hebrews, by using this word radiance, is harking back to the notion of the Shekinah glory that is mentioned in the Old Testament. You'll remember with me in the book of Exodus or in 1 Kings where the glory of God is revealed in such a tangible way. It's the Shekinah glory. When the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus is that tangible glory. He is the radiance of, of the glory of God that is demonstrated in this majesty of who Christ is. Looking at Christ is the way that we see most fully the glory of God. 
For Christ is, he is the glory of God. I have heard it said like this in this verse, that when you read here that he is the radiance of the glory of God, think of the sun. Now, I'm not talking about the S-O-N. I'm talking about the S-U-N, the sun, that which is out there, and how it radiates heat, how it radiates light, that it radiates majesty, right? Because if you look at the sun for very long, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go blind, right? And so Jesus is that exact same type of radiance. He radiates, he pulsates that which who God is. He radiates the glory of God. He radiates the beauty, the warmth, the love, the holiness. Jesus is radiating this glory to us. And so if that is radiance, we need to ask this question, what is glory? I'm gonna steal the definition for glory from one of my favorite theologians, John Piper, and it's one of those definitions that I heard eons ago that has stuck with me, but I think it's a very tangible way to answer what is the glory of God. And John Piper says this, he says, I believe that the glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we are created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy. You see, the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what I mean by glory, Piper says, and based that partially on Isaiah 6 where the seraphim are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his what? And you would expect them to say holiness, right? Because they said holy, holy, holy. But what do they say? They say glory. They're ascribing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when that glory goes public, that's where we see his holiness. So God's glory is the radiance of his holiness, the radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. And so verse three of Hebrews one is exclaiming this all important truth this morning about who Christ is, that he radiates the very nature of God. He radiates the beauty and the supreme worth of God greater than anything, anything else in the known cosmos. He radiates the glory of God. And our God is a God of wonders beyond this galaxy. And here's what I love about our God. Yes, he is great, he is grand, he is beyond our understanding, but he invites us to know him. He invites us to enjoy him. He invites us to share with him. As Jonathan Edwards wrote, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. These are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. Our God is gloriously and infinitely satisfying, more than food, more than any relationship you can ever have, more than any accommodation you could ever have, more than any pleasure you could ever experience on this earth. Our God is greater than that. 
for they are but streams, what I just described, but God is the bottomless, bottomless ocean of thrills and joys that are always satisfying. That is who our God is. So let's just pause here for a second and just take stock here for, for just a moment. Do you find God more satisfying than any accommodations that you could have here? Do you find God more worthy, more joyful than any pleasure you could ever have on this earth? Because that's the question we are asking ourselves this morning. Because God is indeed greater. God indeed is more beautiful. God indeed is more satisfying. But verse 3 continues about who Christ is. It continues with saying that Jesus, look with me back at the text here, Jesus is the exact imprint of his being God's nature, meaning that Christ is the exact expression of the Father's nature. Now hear this, Jesus is God. He is not some avatar, he's not some copy. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. He is the same essence as the Father. Now if I could snap my fingers for just a moment and have my father and my granddaddy right here beside me, you would see a family resemblance of Chambers' men. My dad actually has hair. My, myself and my granddaddy, we are, well, my granddaddy lost his hair a long time ago and I'm in the process of losing my hair. And so, but you would see some family resemblance. And if you spent some time with us, you would see some personality traits that are very similar to each other. But I'm my own person. And my dad was very different from my granddaddy. I'm not the exact expression of these two men. Jesus is the exact expression of the Father. In fact, Jesus says in John 14 that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When you see Jesus, you have seen the Father, meaning that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. When in Jesus, you see exactly who God is and what God is like. Everything that God is, Jesus is. He embodies infinite wisdom, justice, strength, holiness, purity, and love perfectly. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is pure. He is immutable. He upholds the very universe with the word of his power, as it says in verse 3, meaning that he carries every world, every galaxy, every atom by the command of his word. God is right now aware of the star that is going supernova somewhere in some far off distant galaxy that NASA doesn't even know about. But he's also aware of the pain that's happening right now in your life. Christ upholds the very tides of the Mediterranean Sea with his word. But he's aware of the joys that you experience in your life. Jesus is the intimate God. He is the knowable God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And he upholds all things with his power, with his word. He is immensely beautiful. Our God is a God of wonders. And oftentimes, we'll yawn at this. Right now in this room, we're mesmerized by this. You are thinking, yeah, Dave, you're right. God is great. God is so immensely beautiful. God is immensely satisfying. But then you leave this room and then you get cut off on 46 trying to get to lunch and then you go, well, there you are. And then you forget 
We are forgetful people. I love how James describes it, that we are like men who look at themselves in the mirror and then forget what we even look like. And so we have to go back to the mirror. That's why I love my new haircut. I don't have to do that anymore. I just get up in the morning and I look this awesome. But oftentimes with God, we forget what, what he looks like. And so we need to go back. We need to go back to the well of who he is. We need to go back to the word of God. We need to go back to prayer. We need to go back to worship. And we need to remind ourselves of who God is. That's why I love our time of worship as a church. Back during when we were under lockdown, oh, how I missed being in this room with the body of Christ singing about who God is. In fact, if I had my drudgers, I would just have Jody sing uh, for five hours in worship and lead us in that way because my heart is stirred to a greater understanding of who God is by hymns, by music. And that's why I asked him to sing, Oh, How Great Thou Art this morning because I love that hymn. I remember listening to that hymn uh, when I would uh, travel with my family up from Charleston to Elizabeth City to see my grandparents. And we had the cassette tape. That's how old I am. That's how cool I am too. And we had the cassette tape of Andy Griffith and I think it was like 30 classic hymns. Some of y'all might know that album. And we put that cassette tape in there and we would just listen to that. And I always loved listening to Andy sing How Great Thou Art because that was just a song that spoke of who God is and how glorious he is. And I knew that my heart needed that. My heart still needs that. So I love that hymn because of that. Because it's a hymn that speaks of the wonderment and creativity of our God throughout all creation, declares his majesty and our place in the cosmos. Let me just read the verse, uh, verse one. It says, O Lord my God, when I'm in awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Church, in that verse, we see that we are not the center of it all. If that shatters your worldview right now, I'm sorry, but you're not the center of it all. God is. We are very small in the cosmic scale. But here's the amazing truth. While our God created all the known and unknown universe, he revealed himself to us. Our God wants to know us. It's an amazing thing to be called a friend of God, to be a daughter and son of the Most High, all because of what he did for us at Calvary. In the second half of Hebrews 1.3, and the second verse of How Great Thou Art speaks to this truth of the glory of the cross. Verse two says, and when I think that God his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. In the latter half of verse three in Hebrews one, if you wanna look back with me at that, it says this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The God of all creation stepped into his creation to redeem that which is lost, which is you and me. It is every man, boy, woman, and girl who's ever walked this earth, God came to die. He came to take on their sin. He came to take on their shame. 
He came to take on your guilt that you carry. He came to carry the skeleton in your closet you don't want anyone else to know about. He came to take away from you that which sometimes we hold so tightly to. And he says, I came to take your sin. I love, I love what the hymn writer did in verse 2, that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. You know, church, maybe the sight of creation doesn't stir you, but the gospel surely should. The gospel surely should stir your heart to worship our God because he is worthy of it. That's a place to say amen, by the way. Because our God is worthy of worship. The cross is the blazing center of the glory of our God. The beauty of the gospel demands a response that God did what we could not do. He satisfied the wrath and justice that we could not satisfy. And he gives sinners mercy and grace that is undeserved. He purifies not with water, but with blood. He purifies us with his own blood that was shed at Calvary. It was his hands that were stretched out like this. It was his feet that a spike went through. It was his side that was pierced for you and me, where the blood flowed. He purifies us from all of our sins all of our wrongs. Christ did for us what we could not do. No religious means can purify you. No good work, no 10-step program, only the purification that comes by way of the blood of Christ can purify you from your sins. Only the cross can redeem and restore us, not our works, but the very work of Christ for us. And church, that should lead us to sing. That truth right there should lead our hearts and our minds and our imaginations to worship our great and glorious God because he is worthy of it. I love the chorus of that hymn, Then Sings My Soul. The hymn writer is responding to verse two, reminded of the gospel that is mentioned that he could scarce take in. His response is, Then sings my soul, my Savior, my God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. When we realize all that God and Christ did to save us, we should not be people that yawn at this. We should be mesmerized by it. We should worship him because he is worthy. You see, church, we don't yawn at the radiance of our God. We are enthralled by it. We don't yawn at the power of God displayed throughout all creation. We worship him for it because we see his grandeur and his glory. We don't yawn at the grace given that we may be purified. We tell others about what he did for us at Calvary's Hill. Our response should be one of worship. Our response should be one of worship. You know, I like what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He says that, our, uh, that worship is the culmination of our joy. What you worship in is what you find joy in. Let me ask again. Do you find joy in Christ and are you willing to share that joy with others? Let me take this down a second here. 
Everyone's been on a date, right? Everyone's had that moment when you've been at the restaurant. I've had this many times with Melanie, both in our dating life and in our married life. I will have this glorious, juicy hamburger, right? Angus beef, cheddar, bacon, onion straws, a little bit of barbecue sauce, and maybe if I'm feeling crazy, a little bit of lettuce. And then I'll have some french fries on the side there. We're at Applebee's. And I'm looking at that cowboy burger and I'm going, this is great, right? And then she has these like beautiful grilled, seared, whatever shrimp that they do look amazing with a little bed of rice and maybe some uh, veggies, I don't know, some cucumbers, zucchini, something like that. She's shaking her head no. But she'll go, she'll look at me and go, you wanna try this? And I'm thinking, no, I got my burger, I'm good. But she insists, she goes, do you want to try the shrimp? It is really good. I know how much you like shrimp. And so I give in, like any good husband should do. And I try that shrimp, and I'm going, wow, that is good. And I look at my burger, and I go, it's not that good anymore. That's how we are with Christ. We'll look at what we think is good, and we'll go, yeah, I'm good. I'm satisfied. But then someone shares who Christ is. They share about what he did for us. They share all that he did uh, did for us at Calvary and what he did in creation. And we see the grandeur and glory of our God. And then we get a bite of it and we go, it is better. It is good. I am satisfied, not in what I can do for myself, but what he did for me. And when I read about him in the scriptures, when I pray, when I sing, when I do all this, I am satisfied in Christ. Worship breaks the power of sin in our lives. When we get a glimpse of glory, when we get a glimpse of who God is, it breaks the sin in our life. No 10-step program can break any sin in your life. It is getting a glimpse of who God is and saying, yes, that is what I want in my life. I want more of God. I want less of my sin. I want the greater affection that Christ is. Sin cannot be stopped by a 10-step program. Sin cannot be stopped by saying, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna have a better willpower. No, it is by reading this book. It is by doing what we're doing right now. It is what we were doing a few moments ago by worshiping our God. It's getting a glimpse of glory and saying, I want that glory in my life and not the sin. That is how sin is broken. When we refocus our hearts and our minds on the glory of the gospel of Christ. Sin loses its sway in our lives. What promised joy, we see for the fraud that it is. And we say, no, I'm good, I have Christ. You may be thinking, but Dave, I I hear what you're saying. But you know, Dave, there are days where I just don't feel it. Maybe you're like me some days like that. You don't feel it. You're going, yeah, glory of God, cross. I hear that. You know what? I just, what do I do, Dave? Here's what you do. You hunker down. Psalm 42, Psalm 43 are the Psalms that I go to when I don't feel it. Psalm 42 in verse 5 says, come on, soul, sing. Come on, soul, remind yourself of who Christ is. Come on, soul, remind yourself of my Savior and my God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. On those days where you don't feel it, you hunker into it. You guys uh, won't believe this, but 12 years ago, I was in the gym a lot. I know, right? I still have that that bodybuilding type, right? And I was always in the gym with my uh, good friend, Ben Pierce. Some of y'all met him at my ordination. 
and we would go at lunchtime when we would go work out. And there were days where I would look at Ben and go, Ben, I don't feel it, you know? I don't wanna run a mile today, Ben. Let's just go back to Burger King and get some of those 67 cent cheeseburgers. And he'd go, Dave, we gotta do it. Come on, man. If I'm doing it, you're doing it. And he would make me go into the gym. Sometimes we need people like that in our life to make, say, you know what? You need to look to Christ. Right now, you need to look to Jesus. You need to fixate your eyes on who Christ is to look and live on the beauty and the supreme worth of who Christ is. You need that. If you don't have someone like that in your life, then pray for it or come talk to me or Bo or Jody and we'll help you. We'll be that person. We'll text you. Hey, have you looked and lived on Christ today? Have you seen how beautiful Christ is? Have you looked to the glory of Christ? We're human. We, we need these reminders. So when you don't feel it, press into it. Press into God. Draw near to him, and as the scripture says, he will draw near to you. And as we do these things, I think our response will not be where we'll be yawn at Christ, but we'll be mesmerized by Christ. We'll worship Jesus for who he is, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we will want to share with others about who Christ is. Our response of seeing the glory of Christ, we want where we will share the glory of Christ. In a moment, we're going to sing, and it'll be a time where we can respond here at the altar, but for just a moment, can I just ask that every head bowed, every eye closed. And as we close, I want you to really take stock. Let me just ask a question this morning. What are you worshiping today? What are you worshiping today? What captivates your heart? Is it Christ and the gospel? Is it the wonderment of who our God is? If you don't know what you're worshiping today, let me offer a few questions to help you. What is it that if you lost it today, what is it if you lost it today would ultimately crush you? What is the default setting of your mind? What is it that you dwell on when you wake up in the morning? What or whom, if you gained it, you would say, now? My life is complete. As you ask those questions, allow the Spirit to search your heart and mind and say, I have idols in my heart, God. I have hobbies that I have elevated to a place of you in my life, and I need to confess that. You know, Augustine shared that our emotions are like smoke trails leading down to the altars of our idols. We all worship something. We all offer glory to something. What are you offering glory to? Is it this life or is it Christ? My hope and my prayer, church, is that we would give our first fruits of our worship to Jesus. And from, a, from that, we would worship our great and glorious God. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, I just ask and pray that, Lord, as everyone in this room has been asking them, them, those, themselves those questions of what do we worship? What is it if we gained it, we would think we would have everything? That, Lord, you would do the work that only you can right now. That, Lord, your spirit would have his way. And that, Lord, we would worship you 
that we would see the idols for what they are in our life. We would see our hobbies as things that we have elevated to God's standards. That, Lord, we would confess and we would call them for what they are, trifles next to you. That, Lord, we would want to worship you. That for those in this room right now that are captured by sin's sway, that, Lord, you would help them, Lord, to have but a glimpse of you right now. To have a glimpse of your glory. To have a glimpse of your, of your majesty. And Lord, they would see that you are better than whatever sin has to offer. And that, Lord, I pray that for others in this room, that, Lord, we would not, we would not keep your glory to ourselves, but that, Lord, we would share it. And we want others to worship with us because you are worthy of that. Lord, do the work that only you can in this moment. Have your way. In Christ's name, amen.